welcome to the Just Okay Podcast, a podcast about track. Oh, you sound so serious when you say that today. <laughs> it's a very serious podcast today. Oh, I'll try to match that. What was Just Okay about your week? Um, <laughs> wow, you, long, long, long pause. <laughs> well, well, I had someone leave at work recently, one of the people that works with me, and I am tasked with replacing this person, and so I just have a lot of work created now and a lot of future work and so it's just a little bit stressful so yeah it was just okay yeah what about you um i'm 10 days out from starting my actual season of coaching of which i am the head coach i guess i should clarify and what's just okay is the amount of work that i'm getting done on a daily basis most of the stuff that I need to do really could just be done in a day if I just sat down and did all of it. But that's not how life works. It's not how my brain works. I have to go through a bunch of people to do a bunch of stuff. I can't just do it all by myself. And so the amount that I'm getting done, the the, the speed, the rate at which I'm getting stuff done is just okay. But you're getting stuff done, right? Yeah. There's, yeah, it's happening. It, we will start on November 6th, one way or the other. Cool. Are you excited about it? I am excited. I'm nervous. I'm like, all, the first week or two is always stressful to me. I don't, I have done an unequal job with disseminating information as far as like the two different schools that I coach. So I don't quite know what to expect. And then will have potentially put myself in a position where I will have to cut kids from one of the schools and not the other school. And so all that stuff, just, just the unknowns sort of stress me out, but it's not, it's not a big deal. And once the first week or two is over at this, this many years into it, it all kind of hits autopilot pretty quick. Once the team is established. Once the team is established and the way I do things has been established and there's not... This is the second year now that there are no kids on the team who haven't had me the whole time they were in high school. Um, second full class I will have gone through, so I'm not concerned about that either. Like right. they, their, they know what's expected. Yeah, they yeah. know what's expected, and they know what's they know what is expected of them, and they know what to expect from me. So it's that stuff is easier. It's just the beginning of the season, logistical administrative stuff that is causes me some stress you know yeah but that's that it's what i do it's my you're a coach i'm a coach yeah (laughs) it's my job um any new ideas this week this is the idea section for those of you (laughs) i'm energy's low (laughs) yeah it's midday it it, right on a sunday afternoon midday very out of character for us right so our prior idea of doing middle of the day podcast well i don't think we i don't middle of the day was never the idea yeah it was th- oh that oh, i would oh, stay oh, home oh. from or work from home so and then we would do the i podcast. had that idea not on the podcast i believe on oh. the podcast i suggested we should do it in the morning oh, like okay. my thought was like before like we could get up early and do it before the kids get up but then i think i did text you randomly one day and say hey what if you worked from home on a regular day each week and we did it during the day when no one else is home and because 
you have someone leaving and more responsibility <laughs> at the moment, that's not going to happen for a while. But maybe someday it could happen. And also the transitions recording uh, right. will happen too. Right. But right. that's um, so no, your ideas. not any real ideas. The only thing I sort of have been thinking about this week was I've brought up the five minute journal a bunch. I've been writing in it consistently since my birthday when I got it. And it asks for three, um, no, three. So first in the morning, it asked me for three things I'm grateful for. And then at night, it asked me for three amazing things that happened that day. And I have a really difficult time coming up with both things. I can always come up with something I'm grateful for, but I, it's always like coffee, my bed, sleep, a shower. Like I just feel, it feels very superficial. It's just like one little line. It's not like. Like I could get deep into it, I feel like. If you I don't know. If you read the emails from the people that make it, okay. they say like use all three lines for one thing if you really want to talk uh-huh. about one thing you're grateful for. I see I don't like that because it says one, two, and Yeah, no, three. I know. And like <laughs> they show you examples of people who have like crossed things out and made changes, oh. like use it for your oh, own. Okay. Well That's just supposed to Well prompt in you. that in in that uh in that vein, I I did decide that I just struggle with positivity in general, finding the bright side, finding the silver lining. So for both what am I grateful for and the three amazing things that happened that day, I'm going to take more of a just finding something positive approach, which I realize to some people those sort of seem the same, but to me they're very different. So for instance, I don't have to think of something that was amazing that happened. I can think of something really shitty that happened that day but find some positive aspect of it, for me, that's what I need to do. Right. And, I mean, doing that then reframes the negative experiences in your mind with right. something positive. So right. that's good. So that's, I have just sort of started doing that. But that was my only real idea that I had this week among the millions of other ideas. Like yesterday, I spent the entire day at a cheer competition. So I had lots of ideas as far as things I can do or things... That I can order for us to wear. <laughs> Those are important ideas. Yeah, I mean, there was a zip. There was a quarter zip. Oh, <sighs> it was so cute. We were like, we got to get that next year. My and... only ideas <laughs> are for future topic discussions. Well, that's good, because I feel like we've hit that point of number 13. We're on I number 13. So. Lucky number 13. And, like, things are... Well, but, I mean, these, these ideas are more of, like, our long-term focus ideas... Hmm. to think yeah. about for a longer period of time so that we remember things better. But they can also possibly be podcast yes. topics. Because this is the Just Okay podcast, a podcast about remembering. Yes. <laughs> it's, an, it's a totally new podcast. Yeah, but but going to be the same, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of is today, because uh, this episode this week is... That's true. ...with our first guest. Yeah. And I went to California... For a few days, and during that time, I was able to sit down with our, I'll call it, and I don't know if he would agree, but um, the Tour of Unbelief, the first sort podcast of started, yeah. from the Tour of Unbelief. So I think so. You want to give an intro on who Richie is? You know him. I would love to Or give. you knew him earlier than I, I do. I don't I, want to say you know him better than I do. But. I don't think I know him better, <laughs> although I should say we probably know him equal. Um, so Richie and I... Went to high school together in Utah. I can't say that we became friends. I am pretty positive that we never spoke to each other in the two years that we went to high school together. But we had a lot of mutual friends. So I'm sure there was some 
some circling around each other in social situations, but we were not ever actually friends. And then he and his wife, Emily, moved to Virginia a little bit after I had moved back here and we got married. And I remember seeing them at state conference one week. And I was like, oh, there's Richie P. Because <laughs> I'm one of those people that knows who everyone is. So even though we weren't friends in high school, I recognized him and knew who he was. Anyway, saw him at state conference. Didn't even talk to him then. And then we were friends on Facebook as people are with people that they don't even really know. And what? I was just going to run the Facebook bit again. Right. right, right. <laughs> well, and I think one of the reasons that we were friends on Facebook was because during all of this time, Richie had reconnected with and had spent some time living at Heather's house. And Heather is a really good friend of mine. Anyway, there was like lots of different like connections, but he and I had never actually connected. So anyway, um, we were friends on Facebook and he wrote a Facebook post about leaving the church or not believing in the church or whatever. And I, it was around the same time that that had sort of happened for us. So I sent him a message and they still lived like 10, 15 minutes away from where we were living. And so he and his wife and at that, then I guess at that point, two kids came over and they had a group of friends who they sort of invited us into their group of friends and they have become some of our really good friends. So that's, that's the background on Richie and Emily. And then they're lame and they moved to California. So now they live in California. <laughs> Although California is pretty cool. So we can go visit them there. Sounds pretty great. And I'm jealous. But yeah, yeah. So that's the background on Richie. Little did we know you and Richie are two peas in a pod, sort of. Yeah. We had a... I mean, I always have a good time hanging out with him. But this focused time to talk was even more interesting. He has a lot of... I don't know if he's... He's wise in my he opinion. Is. He is. He has a lot of they, good things to yeah, say. They and both are. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, I only got to see Emily for a little bit, but um, also just like two fun, smart, interesting, and great people that we love. So Very much. Without yeah. any other explanation. Oh, and he's a big fan too. So he's a big fan of the podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> here's Richie P. be here we are in richie's garage office right now and sitting down to talk to each other and record it at the same time so i'm just going to start off the bat just asking you a question yeah um we met through um without giving a full introduction we met because of our recent or ongoing departure from mormonism um can you describe your departure? And more interestingly to me is where you are now. Yeah. So, uh, like kind of the background for me, I also have to say that like, uh, I'm not great with dates. And so like lots of things get fuzzy. Me either. Make it up. And... <laughs> like that it happened that there's either it happened, it's happening or it will happen. And like what the actual dates of things are, I'm not very good on. The way that we kind of were introduced, I think, was when I posted to uh, Facebook. And I actually don't really recall entirely what the Facebook post I don't either, anymore. but I remember being excited about seeing it. That's all. <laughs> and uh, uh, Diana and I were friends on Facebook. And so she had seen it and posted a note and then sent me a message. We need to get together. And then we came over for dinner and just talked about like where we all were. But the impetus for that 
post, which was essentially saying, like, I don't feel at home in the Mormon faith, was uh, conversations that I'd uh, had with my wife, Emily, about where the church was headed. And specifically at that time, what was really uh, giving us difficulty was the church, the LDS church's policy on um, children of homosexual couples not being allowed to be baptized and members of the church. So that whole thing was the main impetus for us to say Mormonism, what's going on, let's reflect on this, why are we doing this thing when like the policies don't even make any sense, that kind of stuff was right. kind of, like where it started. That was your initial issue. Yeah. Um, prior to that, do you now looking back see any signs of hey, here's things that I maybe had questioned or things that didn't sit right with me or was it all like everything was fine until that time? So I should probably edit a little bit. It, it wasn't the initial issue, although um, same-sex uh, relationships and rights and things like that was a big issue for me that kind of brought this forward. I, I was the dutiful Mormon male that goes to church every Sunday, does everything there supposed to do or pretty close to it right by all outward manifestations i was what i was supposed to be and um just checked all of the boxes and uh, uh it wouldn't have come up had emily not started a conversation with me if she had not said hey like let's talk about this i would have just been like okay let's just keep doing and I would have just kept putting more more and more things on the shelf because the initial thing for me was um, when the US Supreme Court issued its ruling on gay marriage I had this like ebullient feeling that I was just like this is so great this is so wonderful what a I'm so happy this is happening and I was with it was at a conference where I was with a lot of other people um, that were feeling the same way, and I thought this is this is conflicting with what the story I've been told in Mormonism about what same-sex marriage means, and I was recognizing that at the time as like the Holy Ghost or the Spirit telling okay. me something. Right, the good feeling. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of so that's that was kind of like the first like real big fracture. I mean, uh, I also. My undergraduate degree is in uh, like literature, like French literature, but like humanities and like comparative literature, things uh -huh. like that. And, you know, scripture is never... I like scripture because I'm good at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where I can cite the verse and mm -hmm. it's like a game and I can get like ahead of the other person and like outmaneuver them in some way. Like that's exciting to me and I like doing that. And I think that's one reason why I got into like the legal field. Because I like doing that maneuvering. Yeah. And like, what, what does a comma mean? And like, that's a big deal. Where the commas placed? Is there a semicolon here? Why did they choose this thing or that thing? And finding out that like, uh, most scripture is pretty uh, messy. Just, it's totally messy. And how it gets from like point A to point Z, there's, you know, it's not as easy as the ABCs to get to that point. Right. Yeah. So all of those things were kind of building. And then we had this conversation, me and Emily, where are we going? What are we doing? Do we need to try something else out? 
we tried out some other things. We went to Presbyterian church. We went to Methodist church. We felt like this is just different flavors of the same, like ice cream, right? We're doing the same thing, but at a different place. So right away, did you start going to other places? Like, how did you get to that point? I th- so the way I recall it was it was in the winter of one of these years and we had a conversation, long, long talk, went through all of the ins and outs. What are we doing? What should we do? And then probably not another till another six months later, we were like, yeah, well, let's go visit some places. Like, okay. Let's take some field trips. You, so you're like, hey, this isn't what we want probably let's see what else there is to offer like we still value this like let's yeah. see what else there is yeah maybe it was like three or four months well we didn't know what else to do right right <laughs> what, no what else would you do <laughs> we're like it's sunday morning sunday morning is for going to church <laughs> if we're not going to visit our church then we should be going to some other church right we need to find another one yeah, and it, it, I mean, that aligns with like the Mormon story, right? Absolutely. This is Joseph Smith saying, this thing is not right for me. I'm going to go figure it out on my own. Like I, And I had some trusted friends I was talking about telling them, I need to figure these things out. And like, it, it, I mean, it wasn't so much on my own. It was like our family. Right, right. Um, okay, so I have two questions. One is, um, if Emily had not brought it up to you... Would it have happened just later or do you think it just kind of, you would have continued on dutiful? So if she was like the 100% like still going to church, doing all the things, like all that stuff, um, I don't think I would have ever, like I I may have at some later date said, here are my reservations, here are my doubts. I'm going to keep going to church with you and the family. I know this is important to you. Let's just keep doing this. And that's just the way it is. That's interesting. Um, obviously, the dynamic between partners in a faith crisis is super important. I think that we've seen multiple couples. I mean, I don't, I don't know. This is all anecdotal, right? Yeah. But like the majority of couples have either been divorced or had significant problems um, from from leaving. So it's yeah, I, I, yeah. I I find both comfort and somewhat security in knowing that other people are also able to navigate it. And like, it's not just a ticking time bomb as to when the relationship ends because of it. Yeah. And so I, I'll ask another question on that and then go to my other question. But what do you, and like, what do you owe that to? Like, why is that working for you? Uh, luck. Okay. No, I mean, that's a yeah, perfect I think... answer. I think a huge part of it is luck in our relationship. So for the people that wouldn't necessarily have as much background in like Mormondom, I mean, I was 21 or 22. I was 22 and Emily was 21 when we got married. Yeah. Like, and that seems like, you know, like who knows all the ins and outs of why it is that we got married at that time. But, you know, it's not the same Uh, calculus that I saw my friends making who were in law school at 30 years old saying these are my decisions in life this is what I'm looking for in a partner it wasn't as much of that it was like we are compatible and like I think we agree on a lot of things but it wasn't like we never like raised reservations about like our entire system of belief right right right. (laughs) how would you know 
So, like, I do think it's luck because I, the anecdotal part that you mentioned, I've seen as well. Like, I have people I know where one person is like, none of this Mormon business makes any sense and I've got to get out. And the other person says, well, it's the only thing I know and it makes sense to me. So, like, they're negotiating it. It's a negotiation. It just totally is a negotiation. And where they end up, sometimes, like you said, it ends up in divorce. Right. Because it is so fundamental to the relationship. Yeah. Sometimes you make... I mean, the the common Mormon um, sort of pre-marriage talk is... This is a relationship between three people. You, you're the oh, partners, yeah. and God, and it makes a triangle. And like so, removing that part oh, I, of it. Yeah, yeah. I had seminary teachers who made that all more weird and strange <laughs> than you can probably imagine right now. Right. Um, uh, but also, like, uh, I think like we had those pro forma conversations, but I also have. Com- I don't know if Emily remembers them, but I remember having said certain things and I've apologized to her for having said them where it was like, when we're married, one of us will be the breadwinner and the <laughs> other person is going to be the homemaker. And if you want to, like, I thought I was progressive in saying, and if you want to be the breadwinner, I will be the homemaker. <laughs> and like, now I just look back how ridiculous that is that like, we can both do both of these things and or we just figure out who's better at which things and who likes to do which things better and then we'll like we'll work them out. That's impressive that you like that you were even like <laughs> switching the role like switching the the traditional roles even in that much. I mean I maybe maybe I, I mean there's probably part of me that was like yeah and obviously it's going to be me who's going to yeah, work. Yeah. I'll say this <laughs> and then I know the answer. Me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so um, I think that was like a... There were a couple other pro forma conversations that I had heard other people kind of be like, if you don't have this figured out before you're married, then it's going to be built on a sham or this thing is going to happen and you'll be divorced for sure. Those things don't... Uh, I think maybe to our credit was that like those things didn't matter as much to us. Like, right. We were already kind of both on our trajectories together and... Um, we were already starting to figure out how to make things work. So like, for example, when we first got married, uh, Emily uh, was doing an internship in New York and then I was starting law school in DC. And then I did law school full time for two years and then I switched to the evening program when she went back to school. So we were kind of just figuring out how to make things work for us like from the beginning. And um, again, I think it was kind of luck because there were probably other people that I knew or dated that like who knows like it could have just happened like we could have thought we were compatible and then got married and then like we would have had this maelstrom later right and I I think it's I think it's definitely to your credit that you both of you are already like hey when a situation comes up we will deal with it however is best for us rather than like here are the rules, and this is how we must <laughs> must live. So I think that that's, um, I think that's really. I mean, something that we all need to learn all the time. It also means that you're just going from storm to storm. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> but, but I think the important thing about life is re- realizing it's super messy, and like it's never not going to be messy. Yeah. Um, you just have to like say, okay, it's messy, and we'll when we get the next mess, we'll clean it up and organize it or wade through it or whatever the answer is. Yeah. Um, my other question is, my experience with leaving Mormonism was also based on 
gay marriage specifically and uh, I guess from that LGBTQ issues and the way that they're treated within the church. Any theories on why that is a common issue? So I'll also say that I've been at a retreat for the last two days with uh, mostly evangelical or prior evangelical Christians. And a lot of them also started questioning uh, religion and belief based on gay marriage. Any, like, any theories as to why that is? Um, I think it has, I don't know. I haven't thought about this a lot, but like the first thing that comes to mind is that it's a credit to the, to the LGBTQI community that they have like grabbed the bullhorn and said, this is something that matters. Uh, maybe also like historically speaking, it was the next logical step after, uh, you know, civil rights era, um, statutes that brought in equality for like sex uh, equality and race equality and, and, and those things. So maybe that's kind of where the next steps were going. And so, um, like it's hard to, uh, there's just certain things that like, if you're being brought up in a way, in a community where you believe in like sex equality, I think it's not like a long step to like same sex is not an issue. Like they should be treated the same way. Right. Like equality is not like, it shouldn't be, uh, like a, a hot potato or something. It doesn't belong to one group or another. It doesn't yeah. get passed along. It's and I would say that like like gen- previous generations as well to the, to their credit are like if I have a conversation with someone from a previous generation and they have a different view of of uh, those same issues. Um, like asking them to examine them, like the lights start to turn on when they do the examination, and it's just not a very logical position, I guess, to hold that like, okay, like these two people love each other, you are in a church that says love everyone. The weird thing about Mormonism is this uh, future life where you're going to continue propagating and they don't Mormons just they don't know what to do with that right right and the alternative sounds like a lesser than situation the same as it is here where it's like well we'll just do civil unions and it's like okay but that's not the same thing <laughs> right. like you understand that's not the same thing right <laughs> like it's not the same these things are different and like in Mormonism, the theology, the last I remember it, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this <laughs> yeah, as yeah. well, but like you will be a ministering angel and you'll have such like tasks as Gabriel had, but you know, that wouldn't work because Gabriel himself also was married and because <laughs> of course it was Noah, right, and, of et cetera, course. et cetera. I, I think probably the world that we live in that just is like looking at progressing social values to, to be part of an institution that doesn't also value those same social issues, you start to question and wonder why it is that, like, these seem like obvious truths 
why is the institution that I'm a member of and it's my community not also jumping on board with this? Okay, yeah. So it's our our current iteration of figuring out what oppression is and what that looks like and and how we deal with that and being with a group. Not it's not this specifically, it's just of our age. Like this is the Yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the march hopefully the march forward in time is is coupled with advances in our social the social issues that are affecting us. Okay. I don't know. I've had this thought recently too where it's like um I I don't know how to put it, but like uh my I've, there's a conversation I kind of want to have with my parents, but I'm not quite sure how to put it to them of like, do you think you're better parents than your parents were to you? Mm. And I think the answer is yes. I don't think there's many people who would say no. Huh. And then to ask them the question, do you think I'm better parents to my kids than Ooh. you were to me? And, and I think, that's kind of like a gauntlet. It's a hard question, but it's a good question. And um, that is a churchy thing, too, of like, you're the best generation, and every generation is the best generation. So I think with more information, we should be making more informed, better decisions, use the data, take the data, turn it into better better decisions, better results. Right. Um, so hopefully that's happening like in Mormondom. Right. Um, and I think it, I think it is. Well, if you ever have that conversation, I would be fascinated (laughs) to hear the results. In fact, let's podcast you with your parents (laughs) talking about who is a better parent. Um, no, I think that's a, I've never thought about that question. I, I've thought about that progression. Like my parents were better than their parents. Yeah. They made progress from their parents. Um, I see a lot of things that they did incorrectly. So I'm doing better than my parents. So I definitely thought about that, but never going and asking the question, do you realize that as the older generation, as clearly being improved upon, Yeah. do you see that? And what does that, what does that feel like? Well, it also force, it should then also force you and me to ask the question, can my kids be better than I am when they raise their children, if they choose to have children or are they living a better life than I lived and being comfortable with the fact that they have better information and that they can make better choices than what I can make today? Yeah. Because we see this happening in the news all the time, right? Like, I think, like, the Kavanaugh hearings was, like, a huge, like, spotlight on that, that uh, we just, like, all this information is available to us now. We just need to be making use of it. And I think there's a huge social value in recognizing that you have like made a mistake or that you have not like had the good data at the time or that you were part of a system at a time and now you've you have made yourself better but recognizing that first part is so important the humility it takes to say i was wrong i apologize and I, by the way, I also know I'll continue to find out that I've been wrong and the next people are going to do better. Yeah. Um, that is. It's a, 
I mean, I wouldn't say that like I've fully learned that lesson either. Right, right. <laughs> that there's probably going to be plenty of opportunities for me to be humbled by by life and more information. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, like, who lives without regrets? Like, the people who live without regrets aren't examining strong strongly enough. They're not looking closely enough at what. Right, they're not. They're not been. doing the work in right. quotes or whatever, whatever that means. But yeah, and I mean, like, I know this isn't a Mormon podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a Mormon podcast. I we made it. To. We made it twenty minutes in <laughs> before saying that. Even though I started a question with Mormonism, I guess I should have given the disclaimer uh, before. But like, uh, that's one of my favorite chapters from the Book of Mormon. Even though I don't believe the Book of Mormon is an inspired book from whatever (laughs) it could be from um like the chapter alma five is this really introspective chapter where he just asks you again and again and again like how are you today how are you feeling today are you like the question i think what it asks is like if you have felt to feel the love of christ can you do so now and i think that's like that's like something that you guys have talked about too of like the return to love, the return to now. Do I feel love now? Do I feel all of it now? And like, you don't feel all of it now because now it just happened. And did you feel it then? Not fully, but you keep trying to get back to it. Yeah. And, and like you, you, you keep feeling it and realizing that maybe what you felt before, while you said you felt it, maybe you didn't feel all of it then, but now you're feeling a little more yeah. of it or at least you're feeling it again. Yeah, and the the thing with like my past experience with Mormonism when I've kind of had a chance to like reflect a little bit more is that like I have had experiences like really really strong emotional like really emotional experiences tears, crying, feeling like a palpable something in the air. And I think most people have probably had something like that at some time or another. And, uh, I mean, maybe not, I don't know, <laughs> but like for me, like I looked at, I tried to kind of look at those experiences again and they were just like the most powerful of those experiences that I could recall was I was in a place with a person who I loved very dearly, who was saying things to me that were very, that made me feel very loved. And it didn't matter if God was there. It didn't matter if Jesus was there or the spirit or whatever. The connection was me and my father. Right. At that point, it was me and him. And we were having the most important connection I'd had of my life to that point. That's it. And uh, that kind of emotional uh, experience is good and important to have. And, um, it's, it's, it wasn't religion that was doing it. Like that kind of gave us a framework to have that relationship in, I think, uh, because it was during, so it was like during a father's blessing, right? Yeah, so for sure. like the uninitiated <laughs> in LDS church, you give, uh, fathers have like can give fathers blessings from time to time. And this was before I was leaving on my mission, um, to go to, Montreal for two years to go knock on doors and tell everybody why they were wrong and why I was right. And uh, he essentially told me all the things that he was proud of me for and did it in a first person voice rather than 
you will be, this will happen, like passive voice. He said, I am, I am, you are, you are, kind of conversation. And it was a very meaningful conversation to me. And I realized now that I didn't realize then is that my dad really loves me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is kind of ridiculous to like that's have thought that's... of 10 years later. Right. That's powerful. Um, but yeah. like, but it's, he also came from a generation that couldn't just say to me, you know, uh, he never made a point of saying to me, you know, I love you. You're important to me. Which I think he does feel those things, and I see those things, but he didn't say them, I'd, and I don't hold that against him, but that moment was important because of that. And uh, so, like, to a credit to the church, they give an avenue. They give opportunity. To, to make those statements, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I, like, I tell my kids I love them all the time. Right, but maybe that generation needed the, uh, the ritual of a father's blessing, to be able to express some of those feelings because yeah. it, it, otherwise it, it I mean, it, and all of this is like becoming clear in my head after having been at this men's retreat for two days and talking about how men and their emotions and how they connect to them. We need a socially acceptable avenue yeah. to express those things. And a father's blessing was, is the, is the avenue that's provided. So thankfully there is that. So like, at least you feel that, but um, now we know that you can tell your kids you love them all the time, uh-huh. how proud of you, of them you are, like how great they are and sit with them in their emotions. Like you, you can yeah. be there all the time for them. You, you don't have to wait. For them. Maybe this is back to the improving upon generation upon generation, but, um, yeah, anyway. I think, and, and that, and that's kind of a little bit what it was is that I didn't, I asked him for every one of those. Really? Like, it wasn't he was like, let's just do this. I was like, no, I'm asking for this thing. Like, someone had, like, suggested it to me or whatever. Right. But, you know, like, I like I was the dutiful Mormon <laughs> boy, so I was always on top of, like, if somebody mentioned something at church, do this, you know, you might want to try. I was like, I'll try that. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. That's that's me. I'm going to do that thing. So it was, like, at the beginning of a school year. I don't, like, yeah, that's yeah. always what I Oh, came. yeah. So I always asked for one at the beginning of a school year. Um, Something I have never shared on the podcast is that... So I gave my children at the beginning of the few school years where we were still active believing Mormons, I gave them father's blessings before the school year. Um, since I have stopped believing, I develop a, um, an acronym based on the letters of their name, giving them three, well, giving them words yeah. and I give it to them at the beginning of every school year in a similar, um, sort of ritual, but that has nothing to do with God or anything else. It's between me and them. And that has been a way that I've sort of transitioned, but still feel like, Hey, it's a new school year. We, there, there's a, there's a new time to re-engage with each other and connect with each other. And for me to express how I'm feeling with my children. So I'm, I'm not probably great all the time about doing it on a regular basis, like connecting with my kids in that way. Um, so I still need the rituals. I just kind of shift them. But that's, yeah. I, I, I'm just now thinking of that, how like I've taken that Mormon ritual and made it more usable for me. Personal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a, I don't know. 
I, I like there are some good things about ritual that like just force you into a like this is going to happen again kind of mode and like there's some real benefits to those things and that's that's been a hard thing for me to even think of like so we've moved to Los Angeles this year and I keep asking people at work and friends like so there's no seasons right <laughs> and like I find it really helpful to mark parts of the year kind of where things are going and like my sense memories are based around parts of the year music from certain parts of the year certain parts of my yeah. life evoke certain images they make me recall certain things um and uh i've been kind of grasping at how to make that that work here because i do think there is something about that that just like Right now, the only thing we have is that Luke gets a haircut at the beginning of every season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Hey, that's one way to mark that's, it. That's it right now. Poor people in LA. Like, they have to, they have to suffer through this <laughs> fantastic weather. But I, I, under, I totally understand the, the change of seasons. And, I mean, it's a very human thing, right? To, to need to mark time and to make things special and just be able to set aside time to reflect and, and just have a moment, right? Like something that reminds you to have it rather than, um, rather than, uh, having to create it yourself. It, there's physical manifestations that say, Hey, things are changing. Now's the time. Well, and you can return to the, like those feelings that you have around those events too, that make you really kind of reconnect and then build upon Rather than like making something from whole cloth, right? Every time, right? Um, okay, so where are you now? Like, what's 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 your relationship uh, to? Uh, I'll just say Mormonism. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I won't kind of go away from that. The, my the next kind of topic I want to talk about kind of moves on from that. But so the factual predicate to that <laughs> is that in moving across the country we realized that we were going to be going somewhere that we had no community, no family, no nothing. It was just going to be the four of us building something new. Right. And we knew that we could rebuild on something that we know, which is Mormonism. So we have uh, started going to, when we came to Los Angeles, we started going to Mormon ward that's across the street from us. We're renting from a Mormon landlord. We found out about the place that we're renting at from Mormons, and um, that's kind of the community we've gone into. Uh, the conversation that I had with the bishop of the ward in starting was essentially uh, telling him what my position is. Actually, I think I didn't maybe tell him everything, but I told him, you know, I don't really believe in most of the things in Mormonism. And uh, most of the doctrines, I do think that they have it right about a certain number of things, like um, just like some of the values and uh, like raising decent people and having a nice tight knit community. But as far as like doctrine, uh, that probably evolves like week to week, <laughs> and based on my mood, it's like. I have my own anxieties, 
you know, states of mind that will affect me in different days. If we had been talking two days ago while my wife was on a work trip, I would not be having the same conversation I'm having now from being able to like just have the presence of each other after a day totally changes my state. Absolutely. We were without each other for three days. We're not like the lovey-dovey, oozing emotion type, but we just like need each other. We're codependent. If we don't have each other, we're just trying to like put band-aids on like the many things that happen. I, I'm I'm nodding my head vigorously. I feel the, I feel the same way. Being I mean being in the middle of that myself, being away, um, I I feel you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so we so we so we came to LA realizing we needed something, but at the same time also recognizing that we have been. Um, kind of we benefited from the connections in the Mormon community where you know we were essentially practicing unitarian universalists in northern virginia right we were going most weeks and we mostly agreed with that community uh it doesn't really have a creed and that was that was a boon to us right but i think now uh like i don't believe in um anything literally in scripture but having kind of listened to different people have long form conversations in like podcasts uh it helps me to refine how i think about scripture more as metaphor now than i did before and recognizing that like the people who wrote it down probably also thought of it as metaphor right right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like institutions have difficulty thriving on metaphor, I think. They need the rigidness of doctrine to persevere from uh, and to persist from generation to generation. So what we're left with is doctrinaire institutions. Right. And people who, uh, like I would say like us, who peel off from time to time. And my revisiting of Mormonism is not a revisiting where I'm, you know, agreeing with everything. I, you know, if I disagree with something, I just tell people, well, like, what about this way? Or did you think about this? Or this is an interesting way of thinking about this issue. What do you think? And uh, I'm essentially atheist, though. Right. I, I so uh, a couple questions. One, why did you feel the necessity to talk to your bishop i'm I'm not yeah i'm just wondering yeah so i felt like it's important so we knew the community that we're coming into yeah and the community is a hierarchical top-down patriarchal talk to this person talk to that person and uh i wanted to to set the stakes from the beginning so that you know there were people who visited us before i talked to him and i thought that wasn't going to happen and uh, they make assumptions. They assume X, Y, Z because I checked all the boxes up until I was 30 years old. Right. So I look the part because that's just what happens. Absolutely. <laughs> I look the part, you know, our picture, our wedding picture is us at the temple. Uh, you know, just we look like a Mormon family. 
we will never look like something other than a Mormon family just because of, I, I mean, I assume that. Who knows? Maybe not. But at this point, that's what we look like. And so uh, they're going to make assumptions. And I'd rather people not make assumptions. I'd rather just set it out from the beginning. So I told him most everything, I think, and said, look, you can tell all of your, uh, whatever is it, executive council or whatever it is that they have now. It appears that like the church is making some changes nowadays that uh, I'm just learning about because I was out <laughs> of it for a couple of years. And um, so those, I said, look, we don't, we're not uncomfortable talking about these things. Let people know about it. And he was very forthcoming too and said, you know, the church needs more people like you there. And uh, I thought he meant that sincerely. And uh, I think it's important to, uh, it's the same reason I made my Facebook post. It's about authenticity. Okay. Right? You're getting who I am. And just because I'm now in this group doesn't mean I'm going to change who I am. There's going to be some negotiation of who I am. Right, like with any group. But in a negotiation, you are making, you are making decisions about the next step. So even if you don't like the decision, you have made a decision about what you're willing to take on. And that's, you have to be held to that. It's the same way in like a relationship. If I got everything that I wanted all the time... Like our, our family dynamic might not look the same way as it looks now. And my dynamic at church is me asserting more of my influence of like, no, I'm, I'm here too. Like you have to take that into account. Man, that is, that is, I, I, I have a hard time with that. Um, just because of the, the damage I feel from Mormonism and the way that I can't go back to it. But I absolutely respect the work that you and your family are doing in that place because I think that I think it needs to be done, and I think that it needs to be done from within. Like it can't be done from without. So, um, I, I well, th- and that's one. That's one of the thoughts that I don't. I thought to myself, can I do this? Because I disagree so strongly with certain aspects. Right. And, you know, there are quotes by different people who have said that, like, you're essentially lending power to a group by attending. Because now they can count you. You you are counted. And, um, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm still making kind of peace with what that actually means. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, I look at the people I've met and how they don't have the cookie-cutter views that I thought they had. And I am the black-and-white person, or at least I was, of doing, doing the things, doing the things, doing the things, and then being like, oh, I just had this experience that was, like, didn't fit. Now I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> And maybe that maybe that puts it too starkly. That's how I remember it, and it probably isn't. Exa- now having like actually talked about it in the past, it's like it, maybe it wasn't exactly that. 